You may be seated, and I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 1. You didn't miss anything last week. We were cowering um, against the storm, and, and I just gave a few thoughts on what Proverbs has for us, why it's such an important message, especially for this generation, in this day. And I, I reminded you of some things that hopefully you already know. Proverbs is the voice of God. It's in the Bible, but it speaks in a way the rest of the Bible doesn't speak. Uh, it's not a collection of sayings from Egypt and different kings and Solomon and these pithy uh, one-liners. That's not how the Bible normally talks. So God is speaking differently. His voice is different in the book of Proverbs, and it matters that it's there. He inspired it special. Uh, for us to hear it. I reminded you that the stakes are high, that life and death are before us in the Proverbs, thirteen, uh, chapter 13, verse 14, uh, that there's way too much information in our googly world and not enough application, and the book of Proverbs is deeply concerned about application. Uh, I told you that the nature of wisdom, skillful living, is that wisdom works, wisdom functions, wisdom has everything to do with the 99% of your life that aren't just ethical, yes or no, right or wrong decisions, but who should I marry? What should I study? All of those things. And ultimately, the reason we look to Proverbs is because Proverbs and its wisdom is equated in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 1.30 and Matthew 13 with Christ, who is wisdom from God. The personified lady wisdom of Proverbs turns out to be the Messiah Himself, the Son of God who shows us clearly who God is. The Proverbs are rich and full and hardly ever preached and definitely not studied enough. And so I want us to dive into this great book and watch it transform our lives as we learn how to be good at life in God's world. That's what this book is about. Let's dive in. Proverbs 1.1. I seek to answer one question primarily today in Proverbs 1.1, and it's this, why should I listen to Solomon? Why should I listen to Solomon? That's the only question I want to answer for you today and explore that answer. Verse 1 of chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. What a beginning. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned that our misunderstanding of Proverbs, like what a proverb is, because we all know Proverbs, right? Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Leave it cleaner than you left. You and only you can prevent forest fires. The grass is greener on the other side. Practice makes perfect. It's got to spend money to make money. I mean, you can think of a hundred of them. And there are things that your grandpa used to say, and then he would spit in the, in the thing. Ping. Happy wife, happy life. Got to break a few eggs to make a cake. Math guys can be handsome and smart. <laughs> right? So all those things. I'm worried that our... our our dismissal of the genre of Proverbs is accompanied by a bias against Solomon. Because you and I both know Solomon was naughty, right? 
battle Solomon. How many wives did he have? Thousand wives, first answer I heard, right? 900 wives, concubines. He's bad. Solomon's a baddie. He can't teach us anything. Why should we listen to him? I want to listen to high integrity guys, not Solomon. And I think that Pharisaical attitude that creeps into our hearts fails to understand Solomon even in his own terms and especially in terms of the Scriptures. Because Solomon doesn't come out of anywhere telling you, don't put off tomorrow what you can get done today. Lest haste, more speed. Uh, measure seven times, cut once. Uh, you call me up again just to break me like a promise, so casually cruel in the name of being honest. Whatever. You know, whatever Proverbs you, you internalize. Solomon isn't just some debauched guy mouthing off a bunch of culturally cute sayings. And that's what I want to explore for you today. Because when the Hebrew people heard the the opening lines, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, they would have been stunned at the privilege of hearing from this king. How do we get there? Well, I, I could you know, just have you open up the Proverbs and show you these aren't just cute sayings. These are profound. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I learned and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit. And scarcity like an armed man. I mean, that's not lightweight. That's big time. And it's observation, but it's not just natural observation that we hear from King Solomon. In other words, the Proverbs and Solomon isn't giving us something we could figure out on our own if we just went outside and, you know, looked at a tree. Natural theology. There are things you can learn from God's creation. You wouldn't come up with the book of Proverbs by just wandering around the Angeles National Forest where all the hypodermic needles are. You would have to have what Solomon had. So what did Solomon have? Well, Solomon had Israelite covenant theology. Solomon had Israelite covenant theology. Solomon understood that everything that he had inherited from his father and from his father's father and from the the fathers before him, the patriarchs, was something that was not discovered through diligent searching. It was something that was received through divine grace. In other words, Solomon had Israel covenant theology. He knew who God was. It's why the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God, is featured prominently dozens of times throughout the book of Proverbs. This is a continuation of what God has been doing throughout history as He graciously shows us Himself. 
It would have been within God's rights to not disclose himself. But he speaks. And it was a mandate of kings that they would listen. Before kings even came to Israel, pre the days of kings, in the time of the book of Deuteronomy, there was a law given in anticipation for future kings. God was the king, but in divine foresight, he knew they would have a king. And so he had Moses write down Deuteronomy 17. It says this, when he, the the king of Israel, takes the throne of his kingdom, He's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It's to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so he may learn to revere Yahweh his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. And then he and his descendants will reign a long time over that kingdom in Israel, Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. You see, God gave Solomon this mandate and all the kings before him to not just be aware of, but to study, to meditate, and to copy down with their own hand the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of it. Every bit of Israelite history, the creation account, the story of God's grace intervening in the life of the the patriarchs, God's work in salvation history, His gracious intervention, His acts of judgment in the flood, His glorious giving of the law to His people so that they wouldn't be lost without knowing the difference between wrong and right. All of it would have been written down by Solomon's own hand. But not only that, Solomon, having internalized the entirety of the Hebrew Bible in his day, knew that it wouldn't be enough for him to fill in for his father David. And so, in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 4, it says this, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Himan, Kakol, Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plants from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Remember, it was Solomon who requested wisdom instead of riches, and God gave him both. And in that divine endowment of wisdom, of divine thinking and application, of skillful living in God's world, Solomon knew so much. Cool stuff about trees and fish. Practical stuff about ruling a nation about making good judgments. That's why he says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, My son, 
If you'll receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your ear to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as a hidden treasures, you will discern the fear of Yahweh and discover the knowledge of God. For Yahweh gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Solomon could tell you all kinds of stuff about a trout. But that's not ultimately what's on display in the Proverbs. Proverbs, Solomon was a kingmaker. He was a, an expert in geo-global politics. I mean, he was the, the greatest political mind the world had ever known to this point. But that's not what he's downloading here in an ultimate sense. He tells his son, he's giving him God's thinking, not his own. This isn't just facts about animals and reptiles and plants. This is words that need to be accepted and commands to be put within you so that you'd understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord Yahweh gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And He gives it in this unusual form of of Proverbs. But how wonderful is it that Solomon, with this divinely endowed gift from the covenant God of Israel, came from somewhere like all of you. Some of you are from amazing places like Maricopa, Arizona. And some of you are from awful, awful places like Bakersfield, California, (laughs) or whatever. Solomon was from somewhere too. And you are a product of, of your people in so many ways. Who your dad is, who your granddad is, how you were raised, if you came from a broken home, a, a thousand things contributed to the moment that you are in and who you are right now. And, and that's true of everybody, especially Solomon. And, and you know about his famous father, David, but what do you know about his grandfather? You know David's dad is Jesse, right? What do you know about him? He sends cheese. First thing comes to mind, David and Goliath's story, bring your brother's cheese. He was a cheese man. Man after my own heart. Could use a lactose pill, but it's fine. What else do we know about Jesse, his grandfather? First Samuel 16, verse 1 says, here's the context, everyone in Israel is afraid of Saul because he's a madman on a murderous rampage. But there's one man who's not afraid. And his name is Jesse. Listen to the description. Yahweh said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Samuel, God's prophet, who hears the voice of God himself, is scared. But Samuel said, how can I go? He'll kill me. Yahweh says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to Yahweh. 
Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You're about to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what Yahweh said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They said, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to Yahweh. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Skipping forward to verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, Yahweh has not chosen these. He asked Jesse, you remember the famous story. Do you have another son? He sends for David. David comes and Yahweh says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and pointed him in the presence of his brothers. What's happening in this story famous to our ears? Samuel the prophet is scared. So scared of Saul, he has to hide behind a cow, right? Take this cow and do like a sacrifice kind of act so that Saul won't see you. I'm not going to go make a new king. I'm just with this cow. Moo. Jesse says, do you come in peace? And then follows to parade all seven sons in front of him. This godly father saw the Lord's working in history And responded appropriately. And that's how David became king. What would it have been like to be raised by David? King David. To grow up in the palace. To have your father be King David. 1 Samuel 16.18 King Saul's wingman says this about David. I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and Yahweh is with him. He was one of the greatest musicians in all of Israel. He would become the, the national poet and spokesman of Israel, composing hundreds of beautiful songs of worship, and he was also deadly with a sword. What a dude. David, that's the the dad that raised Solomon. He killed bears with his bare hands, rescued a sheep from its mouth in the Goliath story. This was a dude. I think the word is alpha, which I thought was a Greek letter. But Solomon was raised by David. What kind of a father was he? 1 Kings 2, 2 2-3. Listen to his final speech to Solomon. David's on his deathbed, having been betrayed by his other sons. I'm about to go to the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong and act like a man. And observe what Yahweh your God requires. Walk in obedience to Him and keep His decrees and commands, His laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this as you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. 1 Kings 2. What was David? I mean, David was the most famous king in the world. He regained so much lost territory. He was a, not just a king, but a general, a fighting man, like a equivalent of maybe a, a Navy SEAL in our world. Like a bad dude. He could, he could go and he could fight and he could kill and he could conquer. And he could play the harp like crazy. And he could compose a song of worship that would be treasured for all time. I mean, David is this 
Bruce Waltke, a Hebrew scholar, calls him a combination of Alexander the Great and Mozart. Imagine if that's your dad. My dad's decently cool. He's not Alexander the Great and Mozart in one. He could change the oil in the truck. I think that's cool. But to be raised by David. But I wonder if you've got that kind of thing still happening in your mind where you're going, yeah, but he was naughty too. He probably wouldn't have been able to get into the master's university. <laughs> too naughty. And you're not wrong. Because Solomon's mom was Bathsheba. And she wasn't supposed to be David's wife. She belonged to someone else. And she was married to a guy who was the elite of the elite of David's army. And David had him killed in a cowardly way. David, compelled by Bathsheba's physical beauty, took her, murdered her husband, and brought her into his palace. And the result was Solomon. But do you know what else the result was? Repentance. This story of adultery brings out this love child, Solomon, who comes from murder and adultery. But David seeks the Lord. The parents are forgiven. He confesses and renounces his his sin and his unrighteousness. And God loved him. 2 Samuel 12 says, David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. And Yahweh loved him. And because Yahweh loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. You see, he was the heir of all of it. And the promise that David got in 2 Samuel 7, that there will always be a king on the throne, that God would raise up ancestors and establish his kingdom, found its fulfillment in Solomon, not in the brother Amnon or Absalom or Adonijah. All of them were usurpers. They were disqualified, and they were not included. And so Solomon is made king. 1 Kings 1, King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah son of Jedidoiah. And they came before the king. He said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you, and have Solomon my son mount his own mule, And take him down to Gibbon, and there have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Then you're to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on the throne and reign in my place. I've appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Solomon was raised in David's house. He was learned in the instruction, the greatest instruction in the world. He would have been educated enough to not only encounter and work with, but marry an Egyptian woman. 1 Kings 3.1, he made one of his first alliances with Pharaoh and married one of his daughters. The Egyptians were famously literate and educated. He knew Deuteronomy 17, so he knew the all of Torah. And now his wisdom is expanding to include the wisdom of all the peoples of God's earth. 
And wisdom, remember, isn't just facts about reptiles and fish. Wisdom is how to work stuff out, how to tell if somebody's cheating you, what direction you should take when there's not a clear moral decision. And the famous illustration of it is in 1 Kings 3. You know the story. At Gibeon, Yahweh appeared to Solomon during the night and gave him a dream and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon knew what to ask for. You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit in his throne to this very day. Now, Yahweh, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David. I am but a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to counter number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself and have not asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. It's incredible, isn't it? First Kings 4 is his biography. I'm not going to read it to you because I just read you most of it in the last few minutes. But Solomon's biography describes him this way. First Kings 4, verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. Remember? All these things are a description of the man who was inspired by the Spirit to write this book that ultimately is only partly explainable by its human authorship. And listening to Solomon is listening to the voice of God, and ultimately the wisdom of God, which is Jesus. And so what do we do with an imperfect author inspired by the Spirit of God, endowed with wisdom, unlike anyone to live before Him or after Him? Well, we put Him right next to every other author in the Bible. Right next to Paul, who used to be called Saul, when he killed the Christians. We put him right next to Moses, who was a murderer. We put him right there next to Peter, who denied the Lord over and over again. Because every imperfect author also serves as an example of what Solomon is trying to get across to us in the book of Proverbs. Now, I believe that Solomon did come to his senses. He did come to a place of repentance. I think that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. But here's the thing. If you hold your nose up at Solomon, you're missing the point of the Proverbs. Because you can have all the knowledge You can have God on your side. You can live in a place of peace with your fellow man and unparalleled prosperity, and you can still screw it up. Solomon writes the Proverbs so that his son would do better. 
And as we sit and learn from Solomon and the wisdom of God in Christ in this incredible book, the same choices before us. What are you going to do with all the stuff that you know? All the theology, all the learning, all the Bible, all the morality and ethics. What are you going to do with it? Because unless you put it to work, then it's not wisdom. And so Solomon serves as the ultimate teacher, the koholet, the the convener of truth, to give his audience a lesson that he prays they'll never forget. Next time we're together, I want to tell you what a proverb is and how to understand it. Father, thank you for this book. We look forward to all the wisdom that you'll bring to us through it. We thank you that it's a reminder that we need to understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For you, O Lord, give wisdom. From your mouth come knowledge and understanding. God, we have been warned that that the waywardness of the fool will kill us. And the complacency of fools is their destruction. God, we want to listen to you. We want to live in safety. We want to be at ease without fear. To know that obedience to you and the application of your wisdom can save our very lives. So show us Christ in this book over the course of this semester. In Jesus' name, amen.